God loves us. You know, that's what I'm going to be talking about this weekend. I really believe that the church, and let me just qualify some things because I'll be using this terminology and I want you to understand what I mean. I believe that the church is God's um, centerpiece of focus here on the earth. I believe in the church and I believe in the local church and I believe everybody needs to have a church. There's things that can happen in a church that can't happen through a traveling ministry or a media ministry the way mine is. So I believe in the local church. But I also believe that to a large degree, the devil has hijacked the church, that the church has missed the message and the methods for propagating the gospel. And I believe that the religious church is probably one of the biggest hindrances to the cause of Christ in the world today. That may or may not ring your bell. It may shock you. I am not against Christ's church, but I'm just saying that there's a lot of religion today that is standing in the way of what God wants to do. Religion is the biggest impediment to God's kingdom. And it doesn't matter if it's Christian religion or Buddhist or Hindu or Muslim religion or whatever, it's all the same. In some ways, Christian religion is more deadly because it's got the trappings and people don't recognize that it's not of God. You know, they don't put poison in dog poop because nobody would eat it. If you want to poison somebody, you poison a steak or you poison something that people will eat. Satan has snuck his poison into things that it's a good thing. The church is a good thing, but yet there is a tremendous amount of church today that is propagating things contrary to the word of God. And so what I'm going to do this weekend Uh, I haven't got time to challenge all of this, but I'm going to really try and challenge the message that most people have heard from the church. A message that God is angry, that God hates your sin, that God is ready to judge you, that God is punishing you, and this is why you have problems. The reason your prayers aren't being answered is because you haven't been holy enough, you aren't worthy, you don't deserve it. And basically this message comes primarily from the church. The church has preached that God loves people proportional to their performance. You know, this is what I was raised in. And I had this instilled in me. When my dad died uh, at 12 years old, I was 12 years old when my dad died. And I was told that God is the one who took him. And I wasn't told that this was punishment, but I was told that God sovereignly controls everything. Nothing happens but with God's stamp of approval. He either has to originate whatever happens or Satan has to at least get his permission. He only allows the devil to do certain things. And that is completely contrary to what the word of God teaches. And what this does, it builds an image of God in people that God is this harsh, cruel God. And because of this, there's a scripture that has really become one of my favorite and one that God has used in my life a lot, Galatians 5, 6. And it says, faith works by love. If you don't understand the unconditional love of God, it hinders your faith. And I've often told people this when they're on their deathbed and they're sitting there, I just, I know God can heal, but will he heal? I haven't done everything right. 
and they begin to start feeling unworthy and like maybe God is going to let them die or suffer because they aren't worthy of it. I've often turned and I've pointed to their wife and I said, now you hadn't treated your wife perfectly. I'm sure that there's times that you all have argued and and that she hasn't been pleased with you. But I said, do you think that your wife would just let you die, suffer like this and die? And I've often had people say, my wife would do anything. If she could, she'd take my place so that I could be well. And I said, and you think God almighty loves you less than your wife. And it just always stops people. The truth is people use this term. Yes, Jesus loves me. Jamie sang that song and many of us sang it, but it's become in a sense a cliche and we don't even think about it. And we think, oh yeah, God loves me so much that he put this cancer on me because he loves me. No, God didn't put cancer on you because he loved you. Well, he's, he's doing this to punish me and stuff. No, Jesus bore your punishment. I'm not going to have time to say everything I want to say because this is a big topic. But I tell you, Jesus suffered every bit of punishment that you should ever suffer. All of it. Not only for the sins you've already committed, but for sins you haven't even committed yet. He paid for all of your sins, past, present, and even future sins. God placed every bit of his wrath against you on Jesus. And there isn't any wrath left in God against you. He is not letting you stew in your juice. God is not turning the other direction and letting you suffer because you aren't deserving of something. And I'm going to counter all of this. And, and primarily I'm going to counter religious teaching on this because here's a newsflash and I'll say this and then we'll get into this and start trying to explain it. But did you know where religion got these attitudes from? The Bible. The Bible taught that God put sickness on you and punished you and judged you and did things. But, and I'm going to show this so many different ways that I believe you're going to have to have help to misunderstand what I'm saying. (laughs) That was the old covenant. God punished people and dealt with people according to their sins in the old covenant in a way that he doesn't do in the new covenant. And religion has not separated the old covenant from the new covenant They are basically still keeping people under this wrath and under this judgment of God, not understanding what Jesus did. And because of it, we aren't receiving all of the tremendous benefits that are ours in the new covenant. The vast majority of New Testament Christians are living as Old Testament saints did without all of the benefits. Now that is a huge statement. And a lot of people, when I start saying this, they're immediately going to say, oh yeah, so you just use this new covenant to justify whatever you want and avoid all of the responsibility and the judgment and the punishments under the Old Testament. No, I'm not using it as an escape at all. I'm going to show you scriptures and Jesus came to bring in a new covenant. When the Bible says old covenant and new covenant, most people think that the only difference between them is one blank page in your Bible. There is a huge difference. This is the reason that Jesus was crucified is because those people were living under the old covenant and Jesus came preaching a new message. You know, I'm not going to turn there just for time's sake because I'm really trying to get into these scriptures that I want to share with you. But when Jesus used this parable about you don't put new wine into an old wine skin or else the bottles will burst and the wine will run out. 
he was talking about the law because they had accused him. Why aren't your disciples fasting and praying and, and doing all of the rituals that the Pharisees do? And he says, you can't take this new message, this new covenant and fit it into the old covenant. They are incompatible. The old covenant was not sinful. It wasn't wrong. It was just a step towards what God really wanted to do. And it is incapable of handling the grace and the mercy and the love of God that was expressed through Jesus. And if you are trying to relate to God based on an Old Testament revelation, you will not understand the unconditional love and goodness of God. It will keep your faith from operating and Satan uses the law against you. Man, there's so many scriptures and I'll be going into detail, but let me just tease you with some of these. It says, I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And I found that the commandment, which was ordained unto life was actually unto death. Romans chapter seven, the strength of sin. First Corinthians 15, 56 is the law. The law strengthens sin in your life. I had not known sin except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. Romans chapter seven, again, Romans chapter three, by the law is the knowledge of sin. Romans three nineteen. Romans three twenty. We're going to be going through a lot of these scriptures. The law was not given to give you victory over sin, but to give sin victory over you. There's a couple of head shakes and one, mm-hmm. Most people, most people think, Man, God gave the law to break sin. No, the law was given for the exact opposite reason, to give sin dominion over you because the truth is sin had already defeated us. We were beaten by sin and we didn't know it. We were comparing ourselves with others and thinking, well, I don't dip or cuss or chew or go with those that do. I'm relatively good. I'm pretty nice. And so I think God will accept me. And God said, you think you're good enough You need to recognize that you're a sinner, that you need a savior. And so the law was given to take away the blinders, take away the deception and let you see how exceedingly sinful you were so that you would quit trusting in self-righteousness and say, oh God, if this is what you demand, have mercy on me. The law was given to drive you to grace, to the New Testament. But once you come to grace, Galatians chapter three says the law was a schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. But now that we've come unto Christ, we are not under this schoolmaster. And if you continually go back and remind yourself of how ungodly you are and how sinful you are, not recognizing that Jesus has already paid for all of your sins, past, present, and even future, then that sin consciousness and sense of unworthiness is going to distance you from God instead of draw you to God. That was the purpose of the law was to make a clear break and separation to show you that you were so far separated from God, you can't save yourself. And one of the greatest deceptions that Satan has ever pulled off is to use the church to embrace the law and say, oh God gave us all of these commands, 10,000 commands so that we could overcome all of our problems. No, the law was given to knock you flat of your face and show you that you can't serve God. You can't please God on your own and make you cry out for mercy. And the church has totally reversed the role of the law to be a positive, beneficial, good thing. And it's not, it was given to kill, to steal and to destroy. I know some of you are just like shocked But if you can stick with me, if you'll just devote three days, amen, five services, I'm going to say this and and show you so many scriptures that you are going to have to 
change. Or, you know, there's some people that they just don't let the Bible get in the way of what they believe. There's a lot of people that while I've been taught this my whole life and this is what I believe and I'm going to believe it regardless. I've had people say I was born a blank and you just fill in the denomination and I'm going to die that. And I said, you're dead already and don't know it. (laughs) So for those of you who don't care about the word, I don't guess I can convince you. But if you really believe in the Bible, I'm going to show you some things that will rock your boat and show you a brand new image of God and why he was harsh with people under the old Testament, why he gave the law and how that we are now under a new covenant, what that means and what this will do. It'll show you a new God. You will have a new image of God. You know, it's hard for you to really love a person that you think is the source of all of the people that are born with defects that is killing people with cancer, that is causing the tragedy, that sent the 9-11 attacks, that causes the tsunamis and the hurricanes and is killing and destroying people. It's hard to really have a good, healthy image of a person who's responsible for all of the hurt and the pain in the world. But the truth is God is not the source of that. And I'm I'm hopefully going to share some things with you that will help you to understand that. Let's turn over to the book of Romans. I wish to add time. I'm not even going to turn to Romans 1.16. Let me just quote this because if I start here, I'll never get off of it. This is a powerful verse. Romans 1.16. I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The gospel is a religious term to us and we use it and people say, oh, that's the gospel when they're sitting there pre- handing out tracts saying, repent or else, turn or burn. I used to print up tracts like that and go to the bars and pass them out. And they say, that's the gospel. There's no gospel in that. It's not the gospel. We use the word gospel to refer to anything that's religious. The word gospel specifically means good news or I could spend more time on this, but it just literally means too good, nearly too good to be true news. There is nothing nearly too good to be true about you're going to hell, you old rotten sinner. (laughs) You know, it's true that all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God and that there is a hell and that if you don't repent and accept Jesus, you're going to go to hell. That is truth, but it's not the gospel. The gospel is specifying how you accept and receive this forgiveness from God. And the good news, the nearly too good to be true news is that you don't have to barter with God and say, God, I promise you that if you'll save me, I'll go to church, I'll pay my tithes, I'll live holy. See, there's no good news in that because if it was dependent to you keeping up and doing everything right, you couldn't do it. You'd fail. That's not good news. It may sound like good news, but if you say God can forgive your sins, if You will live holy and stuff. That's not good news. That's bad news because I can tell you, you can't live holy. You can live holier than what you're living, but you can't live perfectly. And God doesn't grade on a curve. You're either going to have to be perfect or you're going to have to accept salvation as a gift. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Romans 6, 23. It's a gift. You can't earn it. The nearly too good to be true news is that regardless of how good or how bad you are, 
God placed all of your sin upon Jesus, punished Jesus for your sin. And all he asked for you to do is humble yourself and receive it as a gift. If you try and earn it and say, oh God, I promise you I'm going to be holy now. And you tie God's goodness to your goodness, then that's not the gospel. And you will fall short. And that's the reason that so many people got born again and had a sudden surge of joy and peace because they thought, man, God forgave me of all of my sin. This is nearly too good to be true. And then you went to church. And you told them I got born again. And they said, oh, great. Now you got to come to church and you got to pay your tithes and you got to start doing this and this and this. And unless you do all of these things, God won't answer your prayer. God's not going to bless you. You're pro- you aren't going to prosper until you do this and this and this. And, and you say, well, I thought I was forgiven of everything. Well, you were back then, but you know what? Now, God, now you're God's child and you, God expects more and you got to start living holier than you did. And all of a sudden, Man, they're back under all of this works and people say, well, what happened? I lost that honeymoon experience. It's because you got filled with legalism. You got filled with all of the stuff that you must do and you quit letting God love you because you know you don't deserve it. Man, the nearly too good to be true news is that God doesn't give you what you deserve. He gives you what Jesus deserves because you put faith in him and your holiness does not affect God one bit, nor does your unholiness affect God. Let me put a little parenthesis here. Somebody says, so this means I don't, it doesn't matter how I live. It doesn't matter as far as God's concerned. God is dealing with you based on what Jesus did and whether or not you put faith in Jesus. If you put faith in Jesus, whether you're living good or not, God still loves you and he will give you anything on the basis of who Jesus is. That's the reason we pray in the name of Jesus instead of in your name. When you say in the name of Jesus, that means because of who Jesus is, because of his holiness and goodness. But does this mean that you're free to just go live in sin? If you live in sin, Romans 6, 16, and I'm going to deal with all of this in more detail, but Romans 6, 16 says, know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey his servants, you are to whom you obey whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. If you go out and live in sin, you just allowed Satan to have free access to you. And even though God loves you and he's going to give you things based on what Jesus did and not on your own performance, Satan will eat your lunch and pop the bag. There's a few people here that have heard me say that before. You don't want to give Satan an inroad into your life. You're stupid if you live in sin, but I'm saying God loves you, stupid. His love never changes for you, but you're absolutely stupid if you go live in sin. You know, if you've got cirrhosis of the liver because you've been drinking, God's not going to sit there and say, well, I won't heal you because you're drinking. You deserve everything you get. God wants to heal you, but you know what? You are just giving Satan free access to you by continuing to drink. And so if you come to me, I'm going to sit there and say, you know what? We need to get delivered of this alcoholism. You need to quit drinking. And then let's pray and believe God for healing. Some people will interpret that as say, you got to quit living in sin before God will move. No, God loves you and God will give healing to you. But then Satan will just come right back in the next time you go to drinking and just, uh, and steal it from you. 
So there is a combination. There is a balance here between what you do and what God does, but you've got to get this straight in your mind. The good news is that God loves you completely independent of anything that you've done. The only reason he loves you is because you've made Jesus your personal savior and Lord, and he loves you and is pleased with you because of who you are in Christ. I know that many of you are struggling still with that. You need to get my teaching on spirit, soul, and body. That will explain that. That is the key that unlocked my heart to the word of God, that teaching on spirit, soul, and body. And that will explain what I've just said. So let's turn over to Romans chapter five. And let me start with some verses here. In Romans chapter five, verse one, it says, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Again, these words have become religious to us. The word justified is a religious term that doesn't mean much to most people. But the word justified, it, according to the Strong's Concordance, it means to be, declare free from the guilt and punishment attached to grievous sin. That is the technical definition. A simple layman's definition is that justified means just as if I'd never sinned. You're justified just as if I'd never sinned. There's no hint of sin. There's no trace of sin. I don't spend the rest of my life limping through life because of my sin. That's justified. And it says you are justified by faith, not by works, not by your performance. It's why putting faith in Jesus. And this is where so many people are missing it. The Old Testament law produced justification based on you doing certain things. You had to live up to these standards. In the New Testament, it's justification by faith. Again, these are religious terms that a lot of people don't understand, but this is what it's talking about. And it says, if you are justified by faith, you have peace with God. If your relationship with God is dependent upon your performance and on your goodness and on you doing everything, there is no peace. There's no rest. You can't ever let up. It doesn't matter if you did great yesterday and if you did good today, you're going to have to be just as diligent tomorrow. You can't ever rest. There is no peace. But if you are justified because of faith in what Jesus has done, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And as long as you keep your faith in him and say, Father, thank you that you love me because of what Jesus did, not because of who I am and what I'm doing, then there's peace. This is the only way you can ever have peace with God. I wish I had time to talk to every one of you, but I can guarantee you there's lots of people. There's hundreds of people in this room that you love God. You know, he exists. You've prayed, you've received salvation, but you don't have peace. You don't have a security. You don't have a confidence that regardless of how bad you blow it, God's still going to be good to you. You're, you're constantly living in fear about whether or not you're going to be able to hold on, hang on, whether you're going to do all of this. There's no peace. You're just wearing yourself out. You know, we used to have this poem that we quoted in the Baptist church. It says, Mary had a little lamb. It would have been a sheep, but it joined the Baptist church and died from lack of sleep. I mean, you just worked yourself to death, man. You had to do all of these things. And there are some of you that are on this treadmill and you got to do all of these things and you're trying to keep pleasing God. And you know what? There is no peace. There's no rest in it. Man, if I can talk fast enough, maybe I can get over to Hebrews 4 and talk about the Sabbath rest of God. It's a powerful teaching. But if you are justified by faith, you have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into the grace 
of God. The only way you can access God's grace is by faith, not by works, not by effort, not by trying, not by promising, not by holiness, not by goodness. Faith is the only thing that gives access. This word access in the Greek is the exact word we get admission from. If this was a movie tonight, they would have had a booth and you would have had to pay to get access to come in and watch this thing. Admission. This is talking about the only way you can have admission, access into grace is through faith in the Lord Jesus. Let me drop on down to verse eight. This is a verse we often take out of context to to witness to lost people. It says in verse eight, but God commandeth his love, commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we take that verse out of context and we tell lost people that Christ died for you and that while you were yet a sinner so that you could be born again. And that's a true statement. But we miss the point that is being made. This point is not about how much God loves sinners. That's not what he's talking about. He started off in verse three. He says, not only do we rejoice in the good things, but we also rejoice in hard times because we know that God is for us and he's making a comparison And what he's actually doing is talking about how much God loved us in the while we were yet a sinner, he died for us. The point is in verse nine, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. The point isn't that God loves sinners. The point is that if you accept that God loved you so much that while you were yet a sinner, he died for you much more now as a Christian does he love you? And yet again, church, and I'm not talking about the true church. I'm talking about the religious influence of church. The church has said that God loves you much less as a Christian to prove that, you know, most people, if you had a drunk come into your church service, most Christians would go back and tell the drunk, God loves you. God commends his love to you in that while you're a sinner, he died for you. And you would preach goodness and forgiveness and mercy to the drunk and say, God's got a better life for you. Wouldn't you like to be born again? Most Christians would do that. But most churches that would minister grace and preach goodness towards a drunk who was lost, let him get born again and then come back the next church service drunk. And what would those same Christians do? Brother, the wrath of God's going to come on you if you don't quit. You're now a believer. God expects more out of his own children. God's going to burn your barley fields. That's a famous sermon that was preached by Jack Cole. God will burn your barley fields. God's going to judge you. God's going to put sickness on you. Something bad's going to happen. And we start condemning and judging the believer. The Bible says, if God loved you so much that while you were yet a sinner, he died for you much more now does he love you. If you would expend, extend love towards a lost man, how much more should we extend love towards a Christian? who is living in sin. But see, that's not the message of the church. The church, boy, is preaching that God is going to judge you. God won't bless you. That's not true. Now, is that to say that there is no consequence? No, Satan will eat your lunch and pop the bag. (laughs) Satan will gain inroad into your life. So there's still reason to tell the person, whether they're saved or lost, who is sinning, quit sinning. 
but not to use the judgment of God. God placed all of his judgment on Jesus and God loves you even more now that you're a saint if you're living in sin. God's not angry at you. God's not punishing you. God's not withholding his goodness from you. Boy, those are radical statements. And it summarizes it in verse 10 by saying, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being justified, we shall be saved by his life. If you accepted salvation while you were a sinner, how much more should you accept the intervention of God now that you've been born again? Here's another way of saying it. How much had you been fasting and praying before you got born again? How much had you been going to church? How much had you paid your tithes? How much had you been studying the word? How much had you been turning the other cheek and living a holy life before you got born again? With most of you, you weren't religious at all. God found some of you in the midst of adultery, lying, stealing, terrible things. And yet you received the greatest miracle that could ever be received, salvation as a total gift. You didn't deserve a bit of it. You sang the song, just as I am, without one plea. And you got born again, not based on any goodness of your own whatsoever. You, you got born again and received salvation as a free gift. But as soon as you get born again, now you got to earn it. Now you got to go to church, pay your tithes, live holy, turn the other cheek, pray, study the word, do this and this and this, or God won't answer your prayer. I'm telling you, being healed of cancer is infinitely easier than being born again. You didn't have any goodness to your name before you got born again and you received it because you didn't link it to yourself. You received it as a gift and the only thing you had to do was believe in Jesus and in his goodness. But after you get born again, the church again has perverted the message and has said that it's linked to your own goodness and how holy you are. And that's the reason that we aren't trusting and believing God is because our own heart condemns us and we know that we aren't doing everything right. If somebody would have preached to you that Jesus can save, but it's going to be dependent upon whether you're a good person, whether you're a holy person, whether you've done everything right. Just think back. And if that's the way it would have been presented to you, you never would have gotten born again. You didn't deserve it. You knew you didn't deserve it. Now that you're a Christian, you don't deserve it. And you know that you don't deserve it. But the difference is we have been told that it is proportional to our performance. Everything God is going to do in our life is proportional to our performance. I've had people come into a prayer line by the thousands. I've prayed with thousands and tens of thousands of people. And I've heard this hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. People saying, why hasn't God healed me? I fast, I pray, I study the word, I pay my tithes, I go to church. I'm living as good as I can. How come God hasn't healed me? You just told me because you didn't one time mention what Jesus did for you. You've mentioned all you did for him. And in your mind, you're saying, I'm doing all of these things. You think you do this and then God does that. That's the precise reason that you aren't being healed. If you would have come to the Lord for salvation and say, all right, I've gone to church and I've done this now. Will God save me? You'd have never gotten saved. But see, you didn't link salvation to your works. You were told that it was totally a free gift. But then the church has linked 
God answering your prayer and the joy and the peace and the prosperity and the deliverance and all of these things to how good you are. And that's the reason that you aren't receiving. Colossians chapter two, verse six says, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk ye in him. That means the way you got saved is the way you get healed, the way you get prospered, the way you get everything. How did you get saved? Did you come professing your goodness or did you humble yourself and receive it as a gift? If you truly got born again, you received it as a gift. You didn't come professing, oh God, I'm good enough. I've, I'm, I'm living holier than I ever have now. Save me. No, you had to come singing just as I am. It's all you, Jesus. I put faith in you. I receive it as a gift. If you would approach the Lord with that same attitude, you'd be healed, prospered, delivered, and set free. But the problem is religion gets in the way and points the finger at us and our heart condemns us and we know we don't deserve it. And so we think, well, I know God can do it, but I doubt his willingness to do it because I'm not the person that I need to be. That's what Satan preys on. And you know where this condemnation, this sense of sin comes from? The Old Testament law. The Old Testament law gave you condemnation and sin. That was the purpose of it. And Satan is taking the religious indoctrination from the Old Testament to make Christians sin conscious and keep us from receiving from God. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. It's, well, let me just go down to verse 2. The last part of it, the reason I'm doing this is I'll preach on it if I don't skip down there. But the last part says that there should be no more conscience of sin. Because of the atonement of Jesus, you should have no more conscience of sin. You shouldn't be sin conscious. Did you know that sounds like blasphemy to most Christians? Most Christians, this is what it's all about. I've got to constantly realize that I'm a sinner. Oh, I'm an old sinner saved by grace. No, I was an old sinner. But I got saved by grace. And now I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And there may be somebody in here who's thinking, so you're saying you don't have any sin? No, I have things that are wrong with me. I do things wrong, but I am a new creature in Christ. And I'm learning how to walk in the spirit, not based on who I am in the flesh. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And you don't have to have this sin consciousness. Religion is basically telling us that, no, it's through recognizing how sorry and unworthy you are that that's what makes you a better person. No, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you see yourself as an old sinner and up, I'm just an old drunk. I'm an old adulterer. I'm an old liar. I'm an old thief. And this is who I am, but I'm saved by grace. You know what? Satan's going to come knock on your door and tempt you to do these things. And after a while, and we're resisting and the temptation just continues. You're, you know what? You're going to give in because after all, you're just an old sinner. That's who you believe you are. You believe that you're just an old drunk. You believe you're just an old adulterer, whoremonger. That's what you used to be. And that's who you still are at your core. No, that's not you. You've been changed. If any man be in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And if you were to see yourself new and really get a revelation of what God has done, it would become a self-fulfilling prophecy. You would wind up living holier accidentally than you've ever lived on purpose before. But see, people just give token resistance and after a while, if the temptation still continues, they give in because after all, it's who you believe you are. 
You believe you're a loser. You believe you're an old sinner saved by grace. So you go and act like an old sinner. But if you could ever see yourself, man, I'm forgiven. I'm new. This is not, that is not me anymore. You may have been a drunk, but you are not a drunk. This is where I disagree with self-help groups. And please don't come up and try and explain this to me. I've had better people than you try and explain this to me. I'm not against anybody, but you know, like things like AA and Al-Anon and all of this kind of stuff. The reason I don't like that, they do give people help. I know people that have been delivered of alcohol through that, but it is a self-help thing. They will mention a higher power and there's a little bit of God in it, but they constantly say, I am an alcoholic. I've been an alcoholic for 20 years. I've been sober for two years, but they still identify themselves as an alcoholic, just a non-drinking alcoholic. But that's not what Jesus does for you. Jesus doesn't leave you as an old sinner, but you just aren't at the moment sinning. But that is who you are, an old dirty, rotten sinner. No, Jesus changes you and you become a brand new person. And for you to stand up and say, well, I am an old sinner and I'm still a whoremonger, but you know what? I'm just for five years, I've been straight and I'm, I'm, I resist and my knuckles turn white fighting this thing, but I'm able to do it. That's wrong. You need to find out that when you got born again, you became a new creature and you start seeing who you are in Christ and recognize what God has done. And you'll say, man, I can't believe that that was ever me. You might still have a memory and say, I know it happened, but you know what? That is not me. I'm a new person. I've seen people. Matter of fact, David Hardesty down here used to be a drunk by his own admissions, what he said. And now this man is such a straight arrow and I've been with him when other people are drinking, they've offered it to him. It just repulses him. And yet he used to be a drunk. He now runs our ministry and stuff. And he's not an old drunk saved by grace. Man, he's been saved. He's been changed and he's a totally different person. It's a different life. It's not him anymore. Man, this is one of the reasons, see, that religion is not being able to break the dominion of sin because they are identifying you as an old sinner and telling you that unless you do all of these things right, you can't overcome it. And yet they're constantly reminding you what a failure you are and how you can't do these things. And it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And you might resist for a little bit of time, but if you see yourself as a man thinks in his heart, Proverbs 23, 7, so is he. The way you see yourself is the way you will become. If you see yourself as a loser, you will be a loser. You need to see yourself as a new person. You need to get a revelation of who you are in Christ. Again, that's that whole teaching on spirit, soul, and body. If you don't have that, you need to get that. That revolutionized my life because I was trained up to believe I was an old sinner. And man, I was, I was not doing the sins that other people were. I mean, I've lived a really holy life because of religion. Religion put so much fear in me. When I was a little kid, six and seven years old, I used to have dreams that I had smoked a cigarette and that I got caught and they turned me into the police and the police turned me over to my mother and... <laughs> That was worse than the police. And then I woke up in hell, burning in hell because I had dreamed about smoking a cigarette. It was a reoccurring nightmare. I had it at least once or twice a year. 
And I used to just wake up in a cold sweat because I'd smoked a cigarette and I believed I was going to hell. That religion put so much fear in me. I didn't go out and commit some of the sins that you did. I've never said a word of profanity. I'm now 61 years old. I've never used a word of profanity. I've never smoked a cigarette. I've never taken a drink of liquor. I've never tasted coffee in all of my life. Some of you are thinking coffee. (laughs) I'm not saying that coffee and booze are the same thing. You got scripture to stand on to drink coffee. It says in Mark chapter 16, verse 18, you can drink any deadly thing and it shall not harm you. Amen. I'm I'm just saying I've lived a super holy life because I was so afraid that I was going to go to hell if I did anything wrong. I didn't outwardly commit sin, but because I had this sin consciousness drilled into me and about how you've got to be holy for God to answer your prayer and do things. Sin dominated me more than it dominated many of you who went out and lived in adultery, drank, smoked, did dope. Some of you don't understand. I'm not going to take time to explain it, but I I could see a word of profanity scribbled in a, in a bathroom or in the, you know, the concrete. I'd see the word. And because I had thought it for two or three days, I'd repent for having even had that word come to my mind. And I'd feel defiled. I know some of you are thinking, man, that's weird. (laughs) It is. That's religion. Sin was dominating me. I was so sin conscious, so unworthy. Many of you were living in sin as far as man's standard, a hundred times worse than mine. And yet sin didn't dominate you as much as it dominated me. You didn't feel as unworthy as I did. Sin will make you sin conscious. It will destroy your belief that God could ever love you. It's not that you doubt that God can do things. It's that you doubt God's willingness to do it. That's where Satan beats us. And that's all condemnation. And you know where that came from? I'm going to show you a lot more verses on it, but it comes from the law. The law is what gave us that attitude. And there was a time that that was necessary because people needed to recognize that we couldn't save ourselves. You know, the Bible says that they comparing themselves among themselves and measuring themselves by themselves are not wise. I think that's 1 Corinthians chapter 10 or either 1 or 2 Corinthians 10. And it's unwise to compare yourself. But see, this is what religion does. Religion says, well, if those hypocrites down there at church make it, I'll make it. The only thing wrong with that logic is the hypocrites at church aren't going to make it. You aren't supposed to compare yourself to them. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, which is Jesus. Jesus is the glory of God. We've all come short of that standard. Who wants to be the best sinner that ever got sent to hell? Man, there isn't any of this comparison. If you've sinned in one point, you're guilty of everything. If you've ever done one thing wrong in your life, you deserve to go to hell. And God had to get us out of this comparison thing and thinking, well, I'm better than you. And so how did he do it? He gave a law that started amplifying sin. And even though I've lived, like I said, a relatively holy life, did you know that the law convicted me? I didn't do it all right. I might've lived better than some of you, but I lived wrong and the law magnified my sin and made it so big that I just lived in sin consciousness. And when God showed me that he loved me independent of my sin, that's what changed my life is to find the unconditional love of God. And there's so many people that haven't found that. That's what all of these verses are talking about. 
I'm trying. I hadn't even got to the verse I'm wanting to start with yet. So let's read in verse 11. It says, and not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. The atonement has already been made. We aren't waiting on an atonement. It's past tense. In the Old Testament, people look forward to the Messiah who would come. We look back. We aren't headed towards a victory. We're coming from a victory. We aren't asking God to pour out his spirit. David said, oh God, cast me not away. Remove not your Holy Spirit from me. Renew a right heart within me. Psalms chapter 51. And people sing that today in the church. That is an unscriptural New Testament prayer. People, well, it's in the Bible. David prayed it. That's because the atonement hadn't been made. And so he was defiled. But we have been already set free. And in your spirit, you are as righteous and pure and holy as Jesus is. And for you to pray, oh God, take not your Holy Spirit from me. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And yet you're saying, oh, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Renew a right heart within me. And the Bible says in Hebrews chapter eight, that when you get born again, you receive a new heart. If you're born again, you've already got that. Why would you ask God to do what he's already done? Because we don't believe that he's done what the word says. Most of us are still living under the old covenant and praying these prayers about, oh God, come and be with us today. How many times have you been in a church service where they ask God to come and be there? And he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And yet we pray, oh God, come. That's a stupid prayer. And we'll pray things like, we'll tell people, well, that prayer didn't get above the ceiling. You don't need your prayer to get above your nose. God's not out there in heaven somewhere. He moved heaven on the inside and God lives on the inside of us. This is the reason that you bow your head when you pray so that you can look at God. Say, Father. Amen. Some of us look like we got more of God than others, but it's not true. You know, these are silly in some ways, but it just shows how unscriptural we are. And people go, oh, well, God's not within a hundred miles of this place. When the Bible says that he's always with us and when two or three are gathered together, there's always a, well, I don't feel it. Well, just pull your thumb out of your mouth and go by what the Bible says instead of what you feel. Believe the word of God. There's a difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It was appropriate for David to say, don't take your Holy Spirit from me because God didn't promise. He'd never leave him nor forsake him. It was conditional upon whether or not he obeyed. But under the new covenant, God said, he'd never leave me nor forsake me. And it's wrong for me to pray the same prayer that David prayed because I got a different covenant. Man, those are awesome things. In verse 12, it says, wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world. Who do you think that was? That was Adam. One man, sin entered into the world. And look at this. And death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. Did you know it is not your sin, sins, plural, individual sins, that caused you to be a sinner. It's not what you did that made you a sinner. Adam sinned and he became a sinner and begat people in his own likeness. And we were all born sinners. This is saying through Adam, 
you became a sinner, not your individual sins. Your sin didn't make you a sinner. It was the fact that you were born a sinner that made you sin. David said in Psalms chapter 51 again, in sin did my mother conceive me. That didn't mean it was an adulterous relationship. It meant that we were all born in sin. A little baby is born with a sin nature. Now, I'm not going to take time to explain this, but Romans chapter 7 says that that's not imputed until they know right from wrong. But they have that sin nature. It's not imputed. It's not alive. But there comes a time when the law comes, they know that it's wrong and sin revives. It doesn't say sin comes. Sin revives and I die in Romans chapter 7. So a child, even though they are, if they were to die as a baby, they would go to be with the Lord because that sin nature isn't imputed unto them. They are born with a sin nature. You don't have to teach a baby to sin. It's in their nature. They know how to be selfish. They know how to go take a toy from their neighbor, from their friends and stuff like this. They know how to just be totally self-centered. You don't have to teach a child that. It's in them. You were born a sinner is what this verse is talking about. And I hadn't even got time to explain this, but let me just say it. Some of you can grab this and study it on your own. But you know what? It is not your sins, plural, that send anybody to hell. It's that sin nature. Sin, if in, in the book of Romans, there are 47 times that the word sin or sins is used. And I think it's like 45 times it uses sin, singular, not sins, plural. It's not talking about your actions. It's talking about your sin nature. It's the sin nature that separated us from God, not your individual actions of sin. Therefore, those of you that had really bad, lots of individual actions of sin, some people feel like, oh, how could God ever forgive me? You're no different than me who didn't have as many acts of sin, but I had the exact same sin nature. It's your sin nature that sends you to hell, that separated you from God. And when God forgives your sin, he forgives your sin nature and therefore all of the sins, plural, that it committed are dealt with, but it's the sin nature that gets changed. When I lead people in a prayer down here, we'll do this tonight. You know what? We have people come and I'll say, Father, I, I thank you that you have, have paid for my sin and I receive the forgiveness of my sin. I always say it's singular, but people always repeat it plural. It's just grained into them. They think that we're talking about individual actions of sin. It is not your individual actions. It is that sin nature that separated you from God. And this says that you got that. You became a sinner through Adam. Is what this is talking about. Not through your individual sins. And then in verse 13, it says, For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. That's the verse I've been trying to get to. <laughs> this is one of the most profound statements in the Bible. Sin is not imputed where there is no law. Again, these are religious terms. Sometimes people struggle with this. The word impute is a Greek word that literally means to put to your account, to hold against you. It's an accounting term. 
You know, the best illustration I can think of in modern day is a credit card. When you use a credit card, you aren't paying for whatever you got. Some of you may not understand this because, again, we've grown up and just don't think about this. But when you use a credit card, you don't pay for what you just bought. What you did was give them information so that they can impute it to you, so that they could put it on the account and charge you. And what they do, they take that information, they send it to your credit card company, and then your credit card company sends you a bill, and it's when you pay that bill that you pay for it. If you don't believe that, just don't pay the bill from the credit card company and see. Say, oh, I've already paid for it. I gave them my credit card. And they'll say, you didn't pay for it. You just gave them the information so they can impute it unto you. They won't use that word, but that's what they're talking about. You don't pay for it when you give the credit card. You just are having it imputed unto you. And this verse is saying that until the law, which was nearly 2,000 years after the fall of Adam and Eve, nearly 2,000 years after man sinned and they were separated from God, during that 2,000-year period of time, God did not impute man's sins unto them. He didn't hold man's sins against them. This is a brand new wrinkle in most people's brain. Again, religion has taught us at the moment Adam sinned, the wrath of God fell, and God says, I'm holy, you're unholy, and God separated man from his presence because holy God could not fellowship with unholy man. You might express that differently, but that is the concept that nearly all religious people have was that instantly God separated man from himself because holy God could not fellowship with unholy man. This is saying that until the law, 2,000 years later, God did not hold men's sins against them. He didn't impute sin unto people. And then I'll get into more detail on this, so I won't take time to turn over there, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19, it says, to wit, that means that that is that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. How did he reconcile us unto himself? not imputing their trespasses unto them. For the first 2,000 years after Adam and Eve sinned, there was a period of grace where God did not impute man's sins unto them. After the law, there was 2,000 years that the law reigned imputing man's sins unto them. And I'll show you scriptures where the law imputed people's sins unto them. And then from the time of Christ until now, approximately 2,000 years, there has been another 2,000 year period of time where through Christ, he's reconciled us unto himself and is not imputing our trespasses. He's not holding them against us. He's not taking count of your sins. And yet the sad fact is that the church hasn't known it. The church has been living under the old covenant where sins were imputed and they think that God is angry with them. And because of that, they won't let God love them. They won't let the goodness of God flow in their life. Their own conscience, they, they, they just can't believe that God will move in their life because they are allowing their conscience to condemn them. And the truth is that God has been wanting to move in your life and do things for you, not imputing trespasses unto you. He looks at you and sees you justified just as if you'd never sinned. 
He's not angry. He's not holding back. It's not God who hasn't healed you, who hasn't prospered you. God has already given you everything. You've already got it. He's already done it. Well, then why don't I have it? Because your condemnation, your own sin consciousness is separating you from the love of God. Everything flows through faith and you cannot believe God would love somebody like you. You can't believe God would use somebody like you. And you are the one who closed the spigot and stopped the flow of God through your own guilt and condemnation. Radical statements. But this verse says, until the law, sin was in the world, but sin isn't imputed where there is no law. And we are now free from the law. The law has been removed and God is not imputing sins unto you. Actually, let's take this example that I was using again about when you use a credit card, you aren't paying for the thing. You're just giving the information. You're having it imputed unto you. It would be like if I went to buy something that say cost a hundred dollars and I got ready to give them my credit card and instead you come up and you say, no, put your credit card away here, impute this unto me. And you give them your credit card and I get it and take it home with me, but it wasn't ever imputed unto me. And if they were to send me a statement and say, well, I know that somebody else gave us their credit card, but you're the one that got the merchandise and therefore you've got to pay 10% of it just because you're the one that benefited from it. Well, I guarantee you, you'd complain. You'd say, no, no, no. That whole thing was imputed unto this other person. I'm not accepting it. But see, with God, we, Jesus came down and Jesus said, take all of their sin and impute it unto me. And everything that you and I have ever done wrong was placed upon Jesus and he paid for it. And yet we are still thinking, well, I know Jesus paid for it, but I got to pay something too. I'm still an old sinner saved by grace. I've still got to go around with an unworthy attitude. I've still got to come before him every time and say, oh God, we beseech you so humbly today. We don't deserve anything. Oh God, we have no power. People will quote things without Jesus. I'm nothing. John chapter 15, verse five says that Jesus says, without me, you are nothing. That is true. But you know what's wrong with that? I'm not without him. He'll never leave me nor forsake me. If somehow or another, you could just dissect me and take only this physical body and only my mental part and separate it from my spirit. Well then, yeah, I'm nothing without Christ, but I'm not without Christ. And I can't separate my spirit unless I die. I am the righteousness of God. He lives on the inside of me. He has had everything imputed unto him. And it's wrong for me to approach the Lord as an old sinner. I was an old sinner, but I got saved by grace. And now I'm the righteousness of God. And praise God, I have full rights and privileges with God. And if I would believe that and expect to receive just as much as Jesus would expect to receive, because I'm praying in the name of Jesus. That means on the basis of who he is, on the basis of what he did, not on my own goodness and holiness. I'm expecting to receive it because of what Jesus did. That's what the name of Jesus means. If you pray in the name of Jesus and then your next thought is, oh God, I don't deserve it. You've just taken the name of Jesus in vain. You've taken the name of God in vain. You said in the name of Jesus, but you really meant God according to my goodness. That's taking the name of Jesus in vain. And I guarantee you, Christians do that all of the time. 
When we say in the name of Jesus, Father, it's not because of who I am, it's because of who Jesus is. I claim it because of Jesus. Jesus paid my debt. Jesus deserves it. And because I am in Christ, I deserve it. Not based on my own goodness, but who I am in Christ. And boy, you get that attitude, it changes everything. Sin wasn't imputed up until the time of the law. So if you, if you take the approximate 6,000 years, it's actually something like 5,986 years since the fall of Adam. And if you take that approximate 6,000 year period of time, there was 2,000 years that sin wasn't imputed. There's 2,000 years under the law where it was imputed. And then there's 2,000 years since the time of Jesus that once again, he has not imputed our trespasses unto us. That means four out of the 6,000 years since the fall of Adam, God has been dealing with people in grace and mercy. And yet the law is the dominant way that most people relate to God, thinking that you've got to keep all of these statutes and laws in order to have God move in your life. And what that does, it negates Jesus. It negates his atonement. And the Old Testament talks about how that those people longed for our day, prayed and sought earnestly what kind of day that it was they were prophesying about. He that's least in the kingdom of heaven, Matthew chapter 11, verse 11 says, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, it said in the first part of that verse, was the greatest man that ever lived under the old covenant. And yet if you are the least in the kingdom of heaven. If you are the sorriest saint in this room, you're greater than John the Baptist, Moses, Elijah, David, any of these guys. What you've got is greater. And yet most of us, oh, wouldn't it have been wonderful to be like Moses? Moses would have given anything to be like you. The only difference is Moses knew who he was and he knew what he had. We don't know who we are. We are still living under an old covenant that is putting new wine into an old wineskin and it's burst. It doesn't fit. It's not compatible. We're schizophrenic. Thinking, singing at one hand, oh yes, Jesus loves me. And on the next hand thinking, oh, he's liable to put cancer on me because I haven't served him the way that I should. Religion will make you crazy. You know, this is the reason that they take People, when they go into a mental institution and they will separate them from Christianity, they'll take their Bibles away from them because the law drives people crazy. Religion will make you crazy and they will fight against it. When the truth is that true Christianity is the salvation of everybody. I've had people that were committed to institutions and that were supposed to be there the rest of their life. Get hold of one of them, got hold of my teaching on grace and faith. And this woman got totally set free and today travels and ministers the word of God. It's been 25, 30 years she's been out and just ministering to people. We had a woman that came in one of my England meetings, got out of an insane asylum the very day I was there, came to the church service and I called her out. And that woman now is a clinical psychologist who treats people and helps them. And that's been now 20 something years ago and she's been set free. True Christianity will set a person free and liberate us from this guilt and condemnation. But religion will just pile you full of guilt and condemnation. And it's killing people. And it's, it's Satan's inroad. Satan is using this guilt and condemnation to stop us. And I tell you, we need to learn the true message, the gospel. 
We need to find out the true gospel that God loves us unconditionally. It's not based on your performance. You know, if what I've said tonight hasn't raised questions on the inside of you, you weren't listening. (laughs) This has probably raised more questions than it's answered tonight. But I've got answers to them. I just can't tell you everything I know in one night. The heart can't absorb more than your seat can endure. (laughs) And so I'm not through. I'm just going to quit. Amen. And we're going to start again tomorrow morning. I don't ever finish. I just quit. And then we take up again. And I'm going to go on and explain this and start showing you things in scripture that I guarantee you'll make a difference. But tonight, this introduction is basically just that we haven't been preaching the right message. Jesus was crucified because he came preaching a new message of love and mercy to people that were used to judgment and punishment. And that's the reason he was crucified. Jesus lasted three and a half years in the Pharisee system. He wouldn't have made it 10 days in our religious system. We are just as religious, as bound by the law as the Pharisees and the scribes ever thought about being. Religion would kill Jesus today because he would come extending mercy. He would go into the prostitute and the tax collector the way he did in the time that he was here on the earth. And he would go in and show mercy to them and the religious people would reject him and say, no, 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 they can't receive from you because they aren't holy and they haven't done these things. Religion has always been the enemy of what God is doing. And brothers and sisters, we've all been indoctrinated in religion. Did you know even people that you may have grown up a pagan and you think, no, I didn't have a religious background. You have a religious background just by growing up in this culture because this culture has been religionized. You can go to some of these other cultures and it's amazing. The the lost person out here on the street knows more than many pastors in other nations do about God. You just pick it up. We've heard a lot about God and you have been indoctrinated with religion. The guy who directs our Bible college in England, we just had a meeting with all of our worldwide directors and he, when he gets up and promotes our England Bible school, he says... It's a place to come and get detoxified from religion. And that really is what it is. We're teaching the new covenant and very few Christians understand the new covenant. They are living under an old covenant and can't understand why they aren't receiving the benefits of the new covenant. And yet they're living under an old covenant. Brothers and sisters, we have such a great salvation And yet very few Christians understand it. And sometimes people will get a little glimpse of it. There are some of you that when I say these things, it bears witness. You recognize, yes, God has been telling me this. But left on your own, you will default to legalism and religion every time. It's ground into you and you haven't got this taught to you well enough that you can stand on your own and rightly discern between these things. I'm telling you, you you need to get your mind renewed. This is basic Christianity. And so this is what this whole weekend is about. We're trying to establish the new covenant compared to the old covenant, show you the difference, help you to walk free.
from the guilt and condemnation. And like it says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 2, have no more conscience of sin. Wouldn't it be awesome to just walk into the presence of God and start praising God for how good he is instead of talking about how sorry you are? Wouldn't it be wonderful to take your attention and literally just lose sight of yourself? Not even think about how sorry you are and just praise him for how good he is. I heard Kenneth Copeland one time say, if you feel like a gnat on the back of an elephant, he says, don't talk about how, how bad, how small you are. Talk about how big the elephant is. If you feel like you're so unworthy, instead of talking about how unworthy you are, talk about how awesome God is to love somebody as unworthy as you are. Talk about his goodness and grace. Magnify the positive, but the law will always draw your attention towards what's wrong. There's some of you that compared to what you used to be, you're awesome. You are a transformed person and yet the law will make you focus. If you've got one thing out of a hundred wrong, it'll make you focus on that one wrong thing and you will not rejoice. You won't have any joy. You won't have any satisfaction until you're perfect and newsflash, you aren't getting perfect in this life. You're going to have to wait until you go to be with the Lord. And there's some of you that God has set you free from adultery, lying, stealing, murder, all kinds of things. And yet you still can't rejoice because you, you're 10 pounds overweight and you just beat down over it because you can't get your body under subjection. Praise God for the mercy and grace of God. Man, if I was God... Some of our attitudes, the way that we just are focused on the negative and we never praise him for all the good things. We're always looking at what hasn't happened and we're waiting until everything's perfect. If I was God, I'd just drop kick you right out into space. Amen. I'd turn you into a pile of ashes. Praise God that he's merciful. Amen. But we need to get these truths so that we could renew ourselves and receive the benefit of it. Amen. So if you can, please come back in the morning. Also, let me mention that we are recording all of these sessions within five minutes tonight after this service is over. They'll have tonight's already duplicated out there and you can get these CDs and DVDs. They'll already be ready and you need to get this. This is the kind of thing that you need to go over. I've meditated on this thousands and thousands and thousands of hours and in one hour you have not got the full revelation of what I've said. You will have to go over this and over it. Some of our hearts are so hard, it's like hardened ground. You pour water on it and it just runs off. You're going to have to build something that just allows this to sit and soak. And it's going to have to take time to penetrate our religion and get down on the inside of us. And it's going to take some effort, but it's well worth the effort. I promise you this will set you free. Amen. Father, I just pray for my brothers and sisters in here. And I know, Father, that you are wanting us to move into this new covenant. Thank you, Father, that you, you changed everything by sending Jesus. You placed all of your wrath upon him. Father, we thank you for that. And we ask through the power of the Holy Spirit that you just quicken our understanding and help us to receive this. Father, for people who have been beat down under religion, who feel so guilty, who feel that you are punishing them, that they're getting what they deserve. Father, I pray that you set them free tonight. We welcome your Holy Spirit to come in here and just liberate us from our guilt and our condemnation. 
Father, we open up our hearts to receive the grace that has been made available, that you aren't imputing our sins unto us, that you paid the debt that we couldn't pay. Thank you, Jesus, for setting people free. I believe that God is touching so many people in here tonight. It may be just a beginning. Maybe you still got all kinds of questions, but you need to open up your heart and just let the Lord touch you and start setting you free from this guilt and condemnation. Father, we receive it. Thank you, Father, for detoxifying us from the pollution of religion. And that, Father, you would open up our hearts to receive this truth. Thank you, Jesus. We receive it. We praise you for it. We believe that you're going to do a great miracle in our lives. And we receive it in the name of Jesus. You know, let me ask tonight if there's anybody here who's not born again. Some people think, well, you're saying that sin's not a big deal. Sin, the individual sin, separated you from God. But Jesus paid the price. There may be some people here that you've been going to church and trying to be good. And if you were to die and if you'd have stood before God and he said, what made you worthy? You would have started saying, well, I'm a good person and I'm trying to do better than I ever had. I quit smoking. I quit drinking. Nope. You'd go to hell with that attitude. Maybe there's some people here tonight that realize that your goodness isn't going to get you there and you just need to humble yourself and you need to receive salvation as a gift and just put faith in Jesus as your savior and let him save you. Make him your savior instead of you being the savior. There's going to be lots of religious people go to hell because they trusted in their goodness and they may be better than I was. But like I said, who wants to be the best sinner that ever went to hell? All of sin comes short of the glory of God. We need a savior. If Jesus isn't your savior, if you've been trying to save yourself, you need to humble yourself and receive salvation as a gift. And once you get born again, you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It includes many things, but one of those things is speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues is a part of receiving the Holy Spirit. And Jesus told his disciples not to go anywhere, not to do anything until they receive this gift of the Holy Spirit. And you know, I'm, I hadn't got time to explain this fully, but one of the other great benefits of the Holy Spirit is he says he will teach you all things and lead you into all truth and bring to your remembrance all things whatsoever I've spoken to you, John 14, 26. The Holy Spirit gives us a capacity to understand that you can't get on your own. 1 Corinthians two fourteen says the natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. You cannot understand what I've talked about tonight in just your human ability. You need the Holy Spirit to quicken your understanding. So receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit does many things. Yes, you receive gifts such as speaking in tongues. If you don't speak in tongues, you need that. It's powerful. But you also receive a supernatural quickening of your understanding. And you need that. I just believe in my heart that there are some of you tonight that you saw a little glimpse of something that you haven't seen before. And you're excited, but at the same time fearful about, am I going to be able to retain this? Will I be able to get the full benefit of this? That's what the Holy Spirit is for. If you'll receive the Holy Spirit, he will quicken you. If you don't receive the Holy Spirit, you can't retain what I've talked about tonight. Your natural mind cannot figure this out. This is contrary to natural wisdom. 
to think that almighty, holy God would love you in spite of what you've done. It doesn't make sense, but it's the gospel. It's the nearly too good to be true news. You need to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I know that some of you came to this meeting thinking, oh man, I can't believe that you're a tongue talker. You don't scream or spit or yell. You just sit there and you don't say glory to God. I had no idea that I was coming to a Pentecostal meeting. Well, you did. And you know what? Other people know it. They're going to talk about you. So you might as well get the goods, amen, and give them something to talk about. So if you haven't received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, if you don't speak in tongues, I'd like to invite you to receive that. If you haven't received Jesus, maybe you're trying to save yourself. And if you'd like to make Jesus your savior, you need to receive that. Is there anybody here that needs one or both of those? You either need to be born again or you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues. If that's you, I want you to hold your hand up and I want to pray with you and help you to receive. Anybody, if that's you, I want you to be bold. I know some of you are thinking, well, I don't know about this speaking in tongues. I do. If you don't know, take the advice of somebody who does know. I'm telling you, it'll change your life. Amen. If you raised your hand or if you were supposed to raise your hand but didn't do it, just get up out of your seat and come forward and we want to pray with you and help you to receive. Let's praise God for these. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Isn't this great? This is going to change your life. You know, if I could, would you spread out instead of standing behind people, stand beside each other. Spread out all the way across the front. The reason for this is because we're going to have people come up here and lay hands on you. And it makes it a lot easier for them to come stand behind you and lay hands on you if you aren't all just stacked up behind each other. Just stand beside each other all the way across the auditorium. If you have to, we could wrap around the side. But the scripture says that through the laying on of hands, the Holy Spirit was given. So when I go to praying for you to receive the Holy Spirit, we're going to have people who already have this baptism of the Holy Spirit come up here and lay hands on you. And they'll release this power into you. And it'll help us if we can get you spread out. Before we pray, before we pray with you to receive this baptism of the Holy Spirit in speaking in tongues... The scripture says that you first of all have to receive the giver, that's Jesus, before you receive the gift that he gives. The Bible says Jesus is the one who fills with the Holy Spirit. So you have to make sure that you are born again, that Jesus is your Savior before you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You can't receive the Holy Spirit until you've also received Jesus. So is there anybody up here who's not absolutely sure whether you've made Jesus your Savior? And you need to pray first about that. We'll pray with you first and make sure that you're born again. Is there anybody here who's not sure? If that's you, I want you to raise your hand and I'm going to pray with you first about making Jesus your personal Savior. Anybody, if that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Here's one. Anybody else? Anybody else? You know, out of this many people, I'd love it. Here's a couple of more down here. Out of this many people, if there was only two or three that had never accepted Jesus as your Lord, that would just be wonderful. I'd love it, but I doubt it. 
There's a lot of people that are just, well, I'm, I'm a good person. I'm going to church. Isn't that enough? No. You need to make sure that you've been born again. The Bible says that when you get born again, you have a witness in yourself. You know that you've passed from death unto life. You know, if you were to die and stand before God and he said, what made you worthy to enter into heaven? How would you respond? That's the right answer. Because Jesus died for me. Jesus is my savior. If you would have pointed to yourself and said, well, I go to church. I'm a good person. I'm trying. That doesn't produce salvation. Be honest. If you would have responded by some way of pointing to something that you have done instead of pointing to faith in a savior, then you need to pray right now and be born again. You might have been gone to church for a long time, but if your response is to point to yourself instead of point to a savior, you need to be born again. Is there anybody else here that wants to receive? Here's one right here. Anybody else? Anybody else? Praise God. Y'all are born again. That's awesome. Well, I'm going to lead these first in a prayer. The scripture says in Romans 10, 9, that if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Jesus has already died for your sin. Now all you got to do is make him your Lord. That doesn't mean just mouth the word. It's a commitment. I'm turning my life over to you. I'm trusting you. It doesn't mean you'll be perfect. You can't be perfect, but you're saying, I'm turning it over. I'm making you the Lord of my life. I'm trusting you. If you're willing to do that, you can be born again tonight. Is that good? Yeah. All right, I'm going to lead you in prayer. I'm going to say the words that you need to say, and I'm going to ask everybody in here to pray with me if you would so that they won't feel like we're listening to them. And if you will say these words and mean it in your heart, then according to the word of God, you'll be born again. Is that a good deal? Let's everybody say this. Say, Father... I'm sorry for my sin. Sin, singular. I thank you that you died to forgive my sin. And I receive that forgiveness. Jesus, I make you my Lord. I believe that you are alive. That you now live in me. I am forgiven. I am saved in Jesus' name. Amen. You believe that? Praise the Lord. You know what? You, if you were a woman before, you're still a woman. If you were a man before, you're still a man. Your physical body didn't change, but on the inside, you are a completely brand new person. I've got a book that I'll give you that will explain that. Now, every person up here is professing that Jesus is your Lord. And according to the scripture, that means you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's what it says. God created you as a temple to fill with his Holy Spirit. The significance of that is God wants you to be filled with the Holy Spirit more than you want him. So you don't have to beg God. We don't have to plead. He's been waiting on this. He's longing to come in. All we got to do is just open up the door a crack and he's going to come fill you with his power. Also, some people teach that you can't get the Holy Spirit if there's any sin in your life. You got to have all of your sins dealt with and everything. You know what? If you could get holy without the Holy Spirit, you wouldn't need the Holy Spirit. 
If you got problems in your life, if you're doing something that you shouldn't be doing, that makes you a prime candidate for receiving the power of the Holy Spirit. God will not withhold the Holy Spirit from you because you aren't worthy. None of us are worthy. He's going to give you the Holy Spirit to give you power so that you can start overcoming. So don't let some sense of unworthiness stop you from receiving. It's a gift. It says if in... Uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 13, if you being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those that ask? It's a promise. So he wants to give more than you want to receive. So we're just going to ask one time and then I'm going to ask all of our prayer ministers to come up here and lay hands on you. And I don't know if we have enough prayer ministers, Melinda. How are we going to do this? I tell you what, we'll just walk around and continue to lay hands on you. But somebody will come lay hands on you. And the reason is because when you lay hands on you, you can release the power of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to ask just one time, then these people are going to lay hands on you and release this power into you. And then I want you to quit asking. There's a time to ask and there's a time to believe. We're going to ask, they're going to lay hands on you. And then I want you to start thanking God that he did it. Take a step of faith. And start thanking him. And at that time, after they lay hands on you, I want you to lift your hands like this, like when somebody sticks a gun in your back. And you go, I yield. I surrender. This is your way of yielding. The Bible says when you lift up your hands, you bless the Lord. This blesses God. So we're going to ask. They're going to lay hands on you. Then you're going to start thanking God, lifting your hands, and just thanking. Thank him out loud in English. And then the Bible says that when you pray in tongues, you are giving thanks. So we are going to start praying in tongues and thanking God in tongues while you're thanking Him in English. And I want you to switch over from speaking in English to speaking in tongues and just let the Holy Spirit start speaking through you. And I know you probably still have a lot of questions like, well, I don't know how to speak in tongues. What do I do? The number one thing that hindered me and most people that I deal with is they think that the Holy Spirit is going to force you to talk in tongues. They just open their mouth and wait on God to take your mouth and make it work. It's not that way. It's the same way that I preached tonight. I believe God spoke through me. But if I would have said, oh God, speak through me and then just open up my mouth and wait on God to make it talk, it never would have worked. I spoke. It came out in Texan. It came out with my sense of humor. It was me talking, but the Holy Spirit inspired it. And that's what it says in Acts 2, 4. They spoke with tongues. The Holy Spirit doesn't speak in tongues. He inspires you. You talk in tongues under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So you've got to start speaking. If you don't know what to say, if you don't know how to pray in tongues, you can try and say what you hear the person behind you saying, but your tongue will be unique it won't be the same. You can't follow. You can't just repeat after somebody, but you got to start. So just get started and then don't quit. When it comes out different, just keep talking. Amen. And I've got a book I'm going to give every one of you. It'll explain it. But if you're ready, you can pray in tongues right now. Okay? Y'all ready? The Bible says believers will speak in tongues. I want you to say, I'm a believer. And I will speak in tongues. Father, I thank you for all of these. Thank you for those that got born again. Thank you that now we are all the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so, Father, we open up the doors of our temple. And Holy Spirit, we welcome you. 
We desire you to come and fill us with your power to quicken our understanding, to give us this ability to speak in tongues and communicate from our heart without any of the unbelief and hindrances of our head. We welcome your Holy Spirit right now and ask for it to come and fill us. We lay hands on you now in the name of Jesus and say receive the Holy Spirit right now. Father, we loose this power and this anointing to flow into these lives right now in Jesus' mighty name. Well, there's the anointing power of the Holy Spirit coming into your life. You know, right now, don't go by how you feel. God said that if you ask, He'd give. So I want you right now to just begin to thank God. Let's put your hands up and begin to thank God. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that your word is true and that you have given me the power of the Holy Spirit. From this time forth, it's not me, but it's the power and the anointing of God flowing in me. Start thanking Him. Don't ask anymore. Thank Him. Thank you, Father, that I am filled, that your word is true. Now, those of you that know how to pray in tongues, let's pray in tongues. Let's begin to start worshiping God. The Bible says when you pray in tongues, you're giving thanks. Well, start thanking God for all of these that are being filled with the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Heavenly Father. And as we pray in tongues, you just join in with us. Speak. You can't talk in tongues with your mouth closed. You're going to have to open your mouth and say something. You're going to have to start making syllables. You may feel like it's you, but it's the Holy Spirit that's inspiring it. It may not sound like a real language to you at first, but you know what? It's like when a child talks. It doesn't sound like the way it does eventually, but you, your daddy knows what you're trying to say. Your Heavenly Father sees you trying to communicate from your spirit, and He's pleased with it. You're bypassing the doubt and the unbelief of your head. Just keep talking. That's it. Just be bold. Speak out. Lots of people praying in tongues. Man, that's the power of the Holy Spirit. You may not feel anything, but the Bible says that, man, you are communicating with God from your spirit. It's powerful. Just worship the Lord. Be bold with it. Talk loud enough that you can hear yourself. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I tell you, this is powerful. You may not understand it, but this is a powerful, powerful thing taking place in your life right now. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Man, most of these people that I can see down here, I believe, are praying in tongues. Thank you, Jesus. Isn't that awesome? Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Excuse me for interrupting, but let me have your attention here for just a moment. You know, I know that many of you, a lot of people think that they're looking for some really spectacular, dramatic experience where you lose control and stuff. It's not like that. It can. You can have a real dramatic encounter. But when I started speaking in tongues, it was, it was totally by faith. I couldn't 
prove to you that anything happened. I didn't feel a thing, but I just said, I know what the word says. And I started doing it. And I can pray in tongues with the best of them. I've prayed in tongues today. I pray in tongues every day of my life. And I tell you, it's powerful. And I've got a book that I wrote about it that will explain what praying in tongues is all about. Because some people think, well, what's the purpose of it? You really need to understand. If you don't understand this, Satan could steal away from the benefit of what's happened. But this really is the most significant thing that will happen in your life outside of being born again. It's very, very powerful, but you've got to understand it. Also, if there's anybody here who didn't speak in tongues, that didn't mean that God gave, he didn't give you the Holy Spirit. The scripture says, if you ask, he gives. I received the Holy Spirit before I spoke in tongues, but that's because I was a Baptist. And I was taught that it was of the devil. And I was so afraid that it was going to be the flesh that I just couldn't cooperate with the Holy Spirit. But I got all my questions answered. And I've written it in this book and it will help you. And so whether you spoke in tongues or not tonight, if you were sincere and really believed, I believe God gave you the Holy Spirit. Now all you got to do is just get some questions answered and this book will help you. And I'd like to give a free copy of this book to every single person. Also, it's about being born again. And so it will answer that. And so this is our gift to you because we want you to get the full benefit of everything that's happening. So this man right here, Ashley, he's got his hand up and there is a room right across the hall. Go right around. I think you can go both ways. You can go out both doors. And if you would, they want to take you over there and give you a free book. If you have a question, they'll answer your questions. If you need prayer for anything, they will pray with you. All we want to do is help you, so please cooperate if you would. We want to give you this book. Amen. So just go right out these doors across the hall, and uh, they'll let you back in just a moment. Amen. God bless you. Let's praise God for all of these. Thank you, Jesus. Isn't this awesome? Praise the Lord. Awesome, awesome, awesome. I tell you what, they'll never be the same again. What a deal. Praise God. These are our prayer ministers here. These are all people that we have a relationship with. We've taught them. We've instructed them not to beg God and ask God, but to take their authority, how that God has given us power. Many of these, this is Pastor Bobby Ray, good friend of mine from Dallas, North Carolina. I tell you, a powerful man of God. He has seen great, great miracles. You heard Alan and Debbie's testimony. Bonnie right here is one of the supervisors in our phone center and she's prayed with thousands, maybe tens of thousands of people, sees great miracles. And Julia here, she travels with us from Denver. She's a graduate of our Bible school. All of these people are powerful. The reason I say this is because some people think I'm the only one that can pray. And that's not true. I don't have an anointing to pray. I have an anointing to teach, but not to pray. Every single Christian can do what I do if they'll just believe. And these are people, many of them do have special anointings and stuff. So I'm just saying that we're going to offer you prayer tonight. I cannot pray for every person. I don't need to pray for every person. But these prayer ministers, we can pray for every person in here if you will let them pray for you. It's God that's going to heal you. It's not the individual. So if you would like prayer for anything tonight, I'd like to offer all of these prayer ministers to you. We ask you to come forward. We've got people standing at the aisles and they're going to direct you towards one of our prayer ministers so that everybody won't just stand in front of one person or get on one side. But if you need prayer right now, just get up out of your seat, come forward, and we're going to pray with people. 
The rest of you, if you'll wait just a moment and let these people get out into the aisles and make their way to the front, you can be free to go. But also, let me say that we do stay here and I pray and operate in the gifts of the Spirit. We call out lots of healings. We see a lot of people healed sitting in their seats out there. So you're welcome to stay and pray with us if you would like to. We will see a lot of great things happen. But if you need to go, you're free to go. Don't forget that we have CDs and DVDs already duplicated out here. We've got all of these products. And if something I've said tonight's ministered to you, I really encourage you to get that teaching on spirit, soul, and body. I'm not going to cover that during this weekend, but you need that revelation to fully understand what we're talking about. And it would be a blessing to you. So praise God. If you need to go, you're free to go. God bless you. We'll see you in the morning. And then tomorrow night, 7 o'clock, Saturday morning, 10 a.m., and then 6 p.m. on Saturday night instead of 7 p.m. It's 6 p.m. on Saturday, 7 p.m. tomorrow night. Praise the Lord. God bless you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we agree and we pray right now for all of these people. Whatever the need is, we believe that you have already meant it. That you've already produced the healing. That you place this healing power on the inside of us. So, Father, we don't just ask or beg. We stand before you as people who have been changed, liberated, been given the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And we lay hands on these people now in Jesus' name. And we speak to bodies and command them to receive. We command the anointing of Jesus to flow right now. Sickness and disease, you leave bodies now. Thank you, Father. Father, we loose your anointing with our words and speak healing into these bodies in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Father, thank you that these are coming out of the wheelchairs in the name of Jesus, that your power is flowing, that their bodies are quickened. Father, we agree and we receive this right now in the mighty name of Jesus. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Father, we agree and we receive it in Jesus' name. There's a number of people here that have uh, stomach problems. You've got, I don't know, it's just stomach problems. All kinds of stomach problems here. If that's you, I want you, if you're out here, I want you to stand up and raise your hand so that I can see who it is I'm praying for. If you've had stomach problems, stand up and raise your hand so I can see who I'm praying for. And here's the healing power of God flowing towards you right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, we loose this power and we speak to these stomachs to be healed now. Pain, you leave them right this moment, instantly now in the name of Jesus. Pain be gone. This bloating, I command it to be gone now in the name of the Lord Jesus. Somebody here had your stomach stapled. I guess this is with weight problems and you've had problems as a result of this. Here's the healing power of God healing all the damage that you've done to your body or you've allowed medical people to do to your body. Father, I just loose this healing power and we thank you now, Father, for your healing flowing through them. 
We speak healing to these stomachs, Father, regardless of how it's been messed up, what's happened. We loose your anointing and thank you, Father, that you're healing them, that all pain is gone, that health has come. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you. We believe it's right now. Bodies, you respond now in the mighty name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Who in here has already felt your pain go? Who had pain before and the pain's already gone? If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Here's a couple right here. Praise the Lord. Pain's already gone. Anybody else? Over there? Is your pain gone? Awesome. You know what? That's three or four. If the Lord healed three or four, he healed all of you. It's all there. Sometimes... It's like Jesus spoke to that fig tree and it took 12 hours before what he did was manifest. But the moment he spoke, it was done. That was a word from God and God healed your stomach. You need to believe that you're healed and walk it out. You're going to see the difference. There was, uh, this may, some of you may have stood for this same thing, but it's a, it's a separate thing. It's related, but it's an irritable bowel syndrome. You've had problems in your bowel. You've been having problems with that. Here's God healing that. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Here's the healing power of God flowing right now. Father, for those right now, we command this irritable bowel syndrome to be over now. Whatever causes that. Whatever the root of this problem is, body, you be healed. Bowels, you be healed now in Jesus' name. Father, I loose your anointing now to flow through their body. And I thank you that all discomfort is gone. And Father, their ability, that their plumbing works the way you created it to. In Jesus' name. We just loose that anointing. And I thank you that right now it's flowing through their bodies. We agree and we receive this miracle now in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. I believe you're healed. I specifically didn't pray that God would set you free. Amen. You need to get someplace else before you get set free of that. Amen. Praise the Lord. But I believe that you're healed. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Father, we just thank you, Father, for your grace. Thank you, Father, that you are moving in our life independent of our own goodness. Thank you for the grace of the Lord Jesus. Thank you that Jesus set us free from all of this performance and reaping all of the things that we deserve. Father, thank you for mercy. And here's the Lord opening up ears right now. Deafness is leaving. You know, I assume that you aren't totally deaf or you couldn't hear me. But if you've got a partial hearing loss or ringing in your ears, any of these kind of hearing problems, if that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Stand up and raise your hand so I can see. Here's the healing power of God coming unto you. I want you to believe that right now God is setting you free. Father, in the name of Jesus, I receive this word from you and I thank you that your Holy Spirit is here touching people's ears. We command this ringing in the ears to stop. We command this noise in the ears to stop. We command the partial hearing loss to be gone. Somebody is totally deaf in one ear, but you can hear out of your other ear. Here's the Lord opening up that deaf ear. We command deafness to be gone now in the name of the Lord Jesus. Father, we thank you that the whole range of hearing comes back to people right now. Be healed now in the name of the Lord Jesus. Deafness, you be gone. Ears open now in Jesus' name. 
Thank you, Father. There's the anointing of God flowing in your body. I believe that people's ears are opening right now. I want you to begin to start praising God. Thank Him. Whether you can tell any difference or not right now, believe. Believe that that was a word from God, that this is the power of the Holy Spirit flowing in your life. And just start thanking Him that He has healed you. Father, I thank you that we are healed, that we have perfect hearing, perfect hearing. No problems in our hearing whatsoever. Nerve deafness is being healed right now. The doctors have told you it's irreversible, but here's the healing power of God. Nerves are coming alive right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. That's the anointing of the Lord right there. Father, we receive this. Thank you for healing these ears. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. You know, I recently was in Phoenix and I prayed and the Lord had me pray over people's hearing. And we had like 30 people that could tell a difference instantly. 30 people out of maybe 60. And then the next morning, one of my good friends... He sent me an email and said he didn't hear a thing at the moment, but he was nearly totally deaf in one ear. And the next morning he went out to get his, or to take his trash out and he could hear the crickets chirping. He hadn't heard them in years, but it was like 12 hours later before he noticed the difference. You know what? Whether it happens instantly or not, the power of God is in you and your body is recovering and you need to expect these ears to open up. Is there anybody in here who can already tell a difference in your hearing? You can already tell a difference. Here's a woman right here. Anybody else? Anybody else that you can already tell a difference? You know what? If one person experienced the power of God, then it was for every person. God is no respecter of persons. That means that the power of God is here. And God has healed your hearing. You need to thank Him and praise Him as if it was already proven. And if you get into faith, then this healing will manifest and your ears will open up. Father, we just thank you. I want you to start thanking God right now. Out of your own mouth. Thank God. Praise God the way that you would if a doctor confirmed to you that you were already healed. Just start thanking God. Father, we thank you that it's done. Thank you that our hearing is perfect. Healed in the name of Jesus. Any damage done unto our hearing. Healed in the name of Jesus. Somebody had a loud explosion go off that damaged your hearing. That's a word of knowledge to help you, but God is healing your hearing right now. You damaged your eardrum. Your eardrum was actually ruptured. Here's the healing power of God coming unto you, and I believe that that eardrum is being repaired. You've had scar tissue and stuff, but here's the healing power of God, and your ear is going to start hearing perfectly. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we agree and we receive that. Thank you for that in Jesus' name. Praise the Lord. There's a number of people here that you've been struggling with uh, walking. You've got pain in your joints or I don't know, but you're just struggling to walk. It hurts to walk. You've had problems. If that's you, I want you to stand. Raise your hand. Here's the healing power of God flowing to you. I believe God is healing knees, feet, arches, warts. 
Father, we release your power right now in the name of Jesus. And I thank you that your power right now is flowing through every one of these that's standing with their hands up. I release this anointing and we command pain to be gone. We command knees to be healed, ankles to be healed, arthritis to be gone in the name of the Lord Jesus. Father, we loose people. We lose people from all of these things and we thank you that your anointing right now is flowing in their body. Holy Spirit, I loose your power to touch them. There's some of you right there receiving your healing. I want you to begin to move around doing what you didn't feel like doing. Here's the healing power of God. Father, we lose this power and anointing. Thank you, Jesus. Somebody really damaged your knee. You blew your knee out. Here's God giving you a brand new knee. Here's the anointing of God touching that knee right now. Father, we receive it. We speak a brand new knee, total healing into this body now in the name of Jesus. Here's somebody with a hip problem. The reason you've been having trouble walking is because of your hips. Right here is the Lord putting ligaments or, or tendons or whatever those things are in your hips. He's replacing this. You're going to begin to start moving. It's not bone on bone anymore. Here's the healing power of Jesus flowing in your body. Thank you, Father. Begin to move around right there. You'll find out that you don't have pain anymore. And it's not a coincidence. The reason you don't have pain is because you've been healed. Right now, let's just begin to move. Begin to walk. Do things that you didn't feel like doing. Here's the healing power of God flowing in your body right now. Father, we receive this healing. Thank you, Jesus. Bunions are leaving right now. I command those bones to come back into shape. Bunions, corns, all kinds of things. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we release your anointing. Somebody here has had warts on your feet that made it painful to walk. Here's those warts leaving you right now in the name of Jesus. Those things are drying up and leaving your body. Father, we thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we agree and we receive it. Thank you, Father. We speak life, health into these bodies now in Jesus' name. Praise God. Begin to move around. Do what you didn't feel like doing before. Amen. Praise God. Who in here has already experienced freedom? Your pain's gone. Here's a lady. Praise the Lord. Here's another one back here. Here's another one. Here's one over here. Here's a bunch over here. Here's a dozen back here. Praise God. Isn't that awesome? I believe God healed all of you. It's all done. 